Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What is up, everybody? This is Chris Sinclair. I am your official host of the Good Bottle Podcast, and there are no other hosts, just some other guy named Drew who helps me tell the stories. Drew, buddy, how does it feel to get downgraded? It's fine because I'm totally the merch guy now. So <laughs> that's the job title that I wanted I wanted to take. But, you just run um, the, mer- the, the merch table is like that's your your gig. Yeah, and and so we've we've had some we've had some merch slowly trickling in and I got to tell you I'm so excited about all of it. Like this this company that we're working with is really really put out some cool stuff and and our friends are picking it up. So we do appreciate all the people who have bought stuff so far. Um, please continue to do it. We'll continue to put out uh, cool things. And and I do want to do a little bit of housekeeping. So so on last week's episode with Dave, we um, ended up having a pretty significant delay between the things that we were saying and then what Dave was replying back with. And so between each each with each conversation, there was like a three to four second delay. And actually, it felt much longer when we were in the conversation. And we've since figured out how to fix that. So if anybody was listening last week and found it as annoying as I did, we do think that we have the solution moving forward. But if you can you know, kind of grit your teeth and get through it. There's some really amazing stuff that Dave talks about for that entire episode. So we are very aware of the delay and everything like that. And it was a, it was a bummer at the time, but now we think we know how to fix it. So we just want all of our listeners to know and to, to, to stay with us because um, you know, it's, it's been that learning uh, process and it continues to be a learning process, but, but um but overall, it was really good content, and I and I really do appreciate Dave and making the time for us because it was he's got so much great knowledge to share. Um, but we have more great knowledge to share today, and we have a really really exceptional uh, guest as well. He is the lead bartender at Carte Blanche in Oceanside and at Misadventure Vodka Tasting Room in Vista. He's a real stan for Ramos Fizzes, which I don't know what a stan is, and we're going to discuss it a little bit further. But tonight's guest is our good friend from Southern California, Seth Marquez. Brother, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I totally stand for your stand just now. That was great. Thank you. Don't you like how like we just talked about that right before we hit record and I was like, let's go in the intro. It replaced my other thing. I was not expecting it. I was not. I for really the record, it. none of us know what stand means. So yeah. we're, just, we're just throwing it around like regular old stands. <laughs> yes. Seth, Seth told us that he works with a bunch of children down in Southern California and they say that they say the stand thing pretty often and we don't know what it means but it replaced my other intro for you so um seth i need you to do something for me i need you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and then also what are you drinking okay hello my name is seth i live in san diego um technically oceanside i uh 
Well, shoot, you guys already introduced me. Um, I love bartending. I love sustainability. Um, I love working all over the freaking place. Um, I know these guys from when I lived in Sacramento and I worked at the Coinop Game Room. Um, yeah, and I just I just love what I do along with all the listeners, I'm sure. Uh, what I'm drinking is Misadventure Vodka. Um I'm going to plug this. Uh, so it's a vodka um, made, sustainably made from upcycled baked goods. And it is a really tasty vodka. And it's made here in Vista. And I just started working here. Um, but that is what I'm drinking. I'm just drinking it neat because I didn't have time to get ice. Okay. So I'm going to do something that's really bad because I don't want to make it sound terribly terrible. But I got to tell you, when you say upcycled baked goods, what I hear as someone who used to live in Berkeley and Oakland on the... Berkeley border of Oakland. Uh, what I hear is a bunch of kids dumpster diving for <laughs> for old for like day old croissants. Right. Tell me I'm wrong. Totally. No. You know, it's funny. I was actually so I just did day one of server training today uh, with Miss Avenger because we're reopening our tasting room on Friday, and the owner actually talked about. Um, Misadventure was featured on a. I'm trying to think of the company. It's not BuzzFeed, but they do like BuzzFeed style videos. I think it's like like this now or something like that. And it's very like cinematic, blah blah blah. But they featured Misadventure, and then they shot to like B-roll of landfills like dumping food, <laughs> and people were like commenting like, "Oh, so this is made from trash." It's not. So I guess I should think of a different way to explain it. But basically, uh, so. 40% of the food that we produce in America uh, goes to waste. And uh, at, in the San Diego Food Bank, we they collect all of like surplus bread, Twinkies, chocolate cakes from Vons or uh, Winco up there, right? Um, but uh, I mean, th- we, we take all of that and then we make a vodka from it. So it's not like trash. There's no trash involved, but it's stuff with no nutritional value. And it, it doesn't go to the needy or anything. It just sits at the food bank and they actually spend over $100,000 a year to get rid of it. So we take it instead and make vodka from it. Yeah. Rad. Rad. That's very cool. So I guess I, I, I do. I guess we, we're, we're always thinking of new ways to explain that. So people don't go straight to that, you know, to the kind of like dumpster diving kind of thing. It's just, you know, we take we take bread goods from from the food bank and make really exceptional vodka from it. That's pretty cool. And I think I think it's the because I do believe that I've I've seen that video mm-hmm. and it's one of those. It's the now this video. Now That's this. What, That's what Yes. Now this, yes, and it it was it was really it was really interesting to kind of see them go about that. And uh, now thinking back, I do remember being slightly kind of being like, I was like, well, I always knew vodka was trash, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so Seth, let me ask you this then: with with Misadventure now in this tasting room, is it is it only the vodka, or do you have? Anything else that you guys that people are able to taste when they're there, or is it what's what's the situation? Yeah, uh, so it's mostly vodka. Like I'm looking at our back bar now. We have our vodka displayed on the walls, and it's it's funny. When I first came in here, I was like, I was like, okay, I get it. Like they make vodka here, but when we're busy, it's like, okay, we're actually pulling these bottles off the wall. Like we're just cranking through vodka. Like our our speed wells have like four bottles of our vodka in it, which is kind of cool. I feel like you don't experience that 
in other bars or other tasting rooms. But we have modifiers, you know, we have Aperol, we have like Gaffard products, stuff like that. But because it's a distillery, so right now behind me is the tasting room, but to my right is the entire distillery. And so if I want to mess around with uh, any lab equipment, any kind of like crazy stuff, like they they have it available, which is really cool. Um, and the and the uh, Sam and Wit, who are the owners, they if they ever want to you know, make a new ingredient or a new product, they are, they can just mess around with it. And they kind of invited me to do that, which is really cool. I feel like that, you know, I worked at Cutwater Spirits in Miramar um, before the sale and everything. And that was super fun. But like, I feel like I didn't, I didn't have that freedom. I wasn't like, hey, I want to make a, you know, raspberry cupcake, whatever, you know, like, that's just a dream of mine. Uh, but now I can if I wanted to, which is really cool. That is cool. I mean, it kind of gives you like one of the things that that Chris and I were talking about a few weeks ago, you know, like, and how do you how do you retain people in this current environment, you know, that has been devastated by the pandemic and people leaving the industry and stuff like that? It's you give them skills that they can't get anywhere else, you know, and it just, you know, creates this brand loyalty. It also like, you know, having that that option to kind of be like, hey, I've also worked at a distillery before and it's a completely different situation. So that's, um, that's really cool. And, and I, and I do want to talk more about kind of uh, the other things that you bring to the table in terms of your contributions to this, to this industry, which I think are very important, but I'm going to wait to highlight those until we get into the story section um, because we are going to revisit it. I don't want to get too repetitive with it Um, before we get to that though, Chris, uh, what are you drinking? Oh, buddy, I am drinking some delicious wine. I am drinking a white wine from Italy, uh, from the Alto Adige region uh, for you nerds, uh, you know, who care about that sort of thing. Uh, If you look at the boot, uh, geographically speaking, the Alto Adige region would be like on the backside of the knee in the upper, upper eastern corner uh, of, of Italy. Uh, so sort of where the boot folds down and like hits the back of the knee, that would be the mountains, uh, of where this, this is. Uh, but this is, uh, what's fun about this region is that it's Italy legally, culturally, it is so many different cultures, uh, in this region. Um, uh, so this comes from Baron Vidman. Uh, it is a Sauvignon, uh, uh, properly labeled um, but it is a sauvignon blanc and this is kind of unlike any sauvignon blanc i've ever had it's it still has like that passion fruit that very like tropical fruit um minerality that's also there but it there's like this crazy umami level to this wine that i'm just in love with Uh, um I was lucky enough this evening to do a wine tasting with, uh, with the importer, uh, Oliver McCrum, which, which focuses specifically on, they, uh, focus very specifically on Italian wines and spirits. Um, and so we did this, uh, we did a wine tasting, uh, with their crew earlier this evening and it was, it was rad. Um, got to learn a lot, but I, I love this wine. This is, we're focusing on, this wine for our uh, Uncharted um, uh, Wine Club this month. And I, I think a lot of people kind of poo-poo white wines. I, I don't know if that's a outside of California thing or uh, all around all around the world thing, but I, I'm in love with white wines. I fucking love white wines. I drink them all the goddamn time. And uh, this, this is a, a pretty fantastic bottle. 
Um, I will say I'm a, I'm a big Sauvignon Blanc fan myself and to have one that was so unlike any other, uh, Sauv Blanc that I've ever had, uh, definitely turns me on, piques my interest. Uh, so that's what I'm having. Nice. Nice. I think, I think sometimes, um, especially, especially in this area, I mean, I know that I didn't really enjoy a whole lot of white wines growing up. And as our listeners know, over the past, you know, two years, focusing on growing my wine palette, you know, you start to learn how much sugar could potentially be being added to your white wines. And um, that made them very unappealing. Although my mindset uh, has completely changed towards them. And there's a lot of depth and complexity that you can end up pulling out of white wines while also still being, you know, refreshing and fun and, and delicious. So, so I totally, I totally get that. And actually, and oddly enough, I'm also, I'm also featuring a a white wine tonight, and oh. I'm doing I'm doing I'm doing an old classic for for some of us uh, here in the Sacramento area, and it's the Vino Verde uh, uh, Santola from Portugal. And so, uh, what a lot of people will know this this wine as is the crab wine, because there is a cartoon um, or an illustrated crab on on the front and we're getting into the, into the hotter, hotter seasons. Right. And, and Sacramento has already had a couple, a couple days so far. That's been a little ridiculous for, for my taste. And, and Vino Verdes are so much fun because uh, you know, they end up being these, these grape blends, which is pretty, pretty prominent in Portugal. I was actually on a, um, on a tasting this morning with one of our other Portuguese producers. And it was really cool to kind of learn about the history of, of, uh, of Portuguese wine and stuff like that. And then it was also really weird because at one point they had, they had mentioned that Americans are a lot more open to Portuguese wines and the blends and things like that than the rest of the UK. So to hear that we were more progressive than the rest of Europe, I was like, fuck yeah, guys, we finally did something more progressive than Europe. Um, But this, this bottle in particular is just, it's super fun because it's extremely affordable and, um, it's really bright and has some good acidity to it. And it's just one of those, I mean, it's a total porch pounder too. I mean, you can just fly through these bottles and just last week and nobody knows this yet. So this is breaking news on, on the good bottle podcast is we're going to be releasing their rosé and Chris got to try it last week along with myself. And then also Emily and a few other people at the good bottle shop and Oh boy! Yeah, that's a hard yes. To the hype. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, so, that's a hard yes. Nice. So that's going to be hitting hitting a good bottle soon, and I cannot wait. It's it's great because it's it's very much so like that distinct like tall bottle that that the Vino Verde does. Um, the the Santola, their standard Vino, they do a green bottle, and on this one they do a clear. But because of the the pink color of the rosé, it it really is nice. And so, I mean, I just, I, and I've come to really appreciate Vino Verdes in general. Like I've started to explore a lot more of them and they're super cool. And then if you get into their reds, which again are, um, you know, they, they have a lot of really good affordable stuff. It's just because when they were planting those fields, they were just like going nuts and they were just like, all right, now we're going to plant this. Now we're going to plant this. Now we're going to plant this. Like, whereas in California or in France and a lot of, you know, traditional wine growing regions is you see rows and rows of the same type of varietal. Whereas in Portugal, it's just like, a, it's like 
nope, we just went nuts. And there's all kinds of different things all intermingling with each other. And um, it's just, it's such a super rad wine. And it's like my favorite thing to turn people on to because they just don't think that a wine can taste this good at its price. And I love that, you know? So, you know, you I, I, I've been racking my brain trying to think of like a cocktail analogy for crab wine because crab wine, uh, the Santola is on paper, technically speaking, not the greatest wine. Like it has a, it has a bunch of residual sugar. It is a frizzante which is forced carbonation. Um, like it's a blend of a blend of grapes, right? So like everything about this is stuff that American wine drinkers would be like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. This seems, this seems weird. I'm not, I'm not really into this, but literally every single fucking person who tastes this goddamn wine is like, Oh yeah, I'm into that. That's great. That's just, <laughs> it's just like, it's just don't have to think about it too hard. It's just simply delicious fucking wine, like through and through. And it cracks me up every time because like with as hard as I try and think about all the wines in my selection, uh, hands down, we sell the most uh, uh, of the Santola, like through and through. That's our best selling wine over and over and over again. I mean, it's the only wine that I, that people come to me for cases and cases of, uh, and when we're out, people lose their goddamn minds. Like people are like, well, when's crab wine coming back? And actually we got, we got some in at the end of last year, um, that came because it was moving so fast. They were out of like the, the quintessential green bottle that's sort of like iconic look. And it showed up in this, in this like brown sea glass looking bottle and it just didn't cut it. People were not into it. Like I, and you could see it in sales. People were like, oh man, like they legitimately, it's same exact wine, same exact fucking label, just like a brown bottle versus a green bottle. And it just moves so much slower. And, and I literally like when, when, I, you can't when I went, you can't, when I, when I went and I like, I went to go reorder, I had to make sure I was like, Drew, we got green bottles, right? Like, cause like, I can't fuck around with the brown bottles anymore. Same exact fucking wine. But we were like, nah, I just, I need that shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't I won't get into what the price is wholesale, but yeah, thank you. When I tell when I tell people what how much money I made or how much money I did in crab wine last year with like really only a few only a few liquor stores and in bottle shops, like because you know we didn't have any bars, and so I'm really excited this year to kind of see what what bars can do with it. But so so Seth, when I when I showed you the bottle in the video, like it seemed like you got a little excited. Have you had the crab wine before? No, I haven't had the crab wine, but I see you always talking about it. And I've had <laughs> the only Vino Verde I've had is the Broadbent Vino Verde because I had it at my last bar and I love the Broadbent Vino Verde and it's at a great value as well. So I was so excited to see it because I'm like, I was going to ask you about it. I was like, what's that crab wine you're always talking about? And then you showed it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really has taken on like its own, um, its own personality. And, you know, we have our, we have our local whiskey group, the River City Whiskey Society and, and obviously, most of the conversation is dominated by whiskey talk, as rightfully it should be in that group. But there is one wine that constantly gets posted in there, and it is the crab wine. Like it's just got this little like cult like following, and and again, like people just people just buy it by the case, and um, and it flies. And I know like uh, 
um, this, this past year, we, we did some Christmas presents and with the family and it was like, you had to stay underneath 20 bucks. And so I got everybody crab wine and you know, they were like, this Perfect. is the best. And I'm like, yeah. yes, this is, this is the best. So I, so basically what we have to do with you, one of two things, like I gotta get, I gotta send you down some bottles of crab wine or we got to get you, um, we got to get my boy Rom down there who works with JVS to bring some crab wine in for you and be like, check out this dope ass wine. It's the JVS. Say no more. That's at all my bars now. I'm gonna. I, I well, I'll try it, but I'm sure I'm gonna love it. <laughs> it's just it. It really it it really will blow your mind. Like there, I haven't had a single person, and we have other vino verdes that like I've tried people on, and they're like, yeah, it's okay. The crab wine, like it bats a thousand. Like it's just so what, like what's the deal with it. Can you talk about it, or is that did you talk about it already in a past episode? In terms of what, like the. I guess just crab wine. That's very intriguing. That's like something that I've always wanted to research. And when you put like when you post about it, but then I'm like, uh, you know what? I'm just gonna try it one day. So okay, so with within the JVS portfolio, like we have a lot of different wines and stuff like that. And you know, and going back, you know, a couple of years, I wanted to get more into it, and I was trying to figure out like, okay, what are the things? And and I'm talking to our VP about it, and and this guy is a, he's a total hustler. He um, is amazing at, at what he does, and he's telling me about this this wine. And in and I've referenced him in a couple of times where he's he's the same guy that's like you know oh this is the number one beer in Estonia like who gives a shit you know but but on this one he's like hey I want you to I want you to start looking into this this wine because I think you'll do well with it. He's like and what you'll do is like you'll get case stacks. Now at this time I wasn't getting case stacks of wine anywhere. And I wasn't in case stacks of really anything anywhere. Um, and he goes, you just, you just got to go and get it. So I was like, all right. So, you know, I ordered a sample bottle and, and I tried to research it. And the thing is, is like, I couldn't find anything. And except for this one, this one review and it was titled, you know, the Vino Verde Santola, AKA crab wine. And so I was like, I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. And, um, you know, and again, looking at the packaging, like you have this illustrated crab on it, it's very prominent on, on the bottle itself. And so basically what I found out is that it's typically a blend of five to six different grapes. You never really know exactly what is going to go into that blend with each, um, with each season, but you know, it's designed to be chilled and then just pounded like right away. Um, it's a nine, it's a 9% uh, wine too. So, you know, it's low ABV. You can just really kind of get after it and drink lots of them. I've done it. Um, and it's just, it's just a people pleaser. And so then again, like, you know, when you have something that's sub $20 and really, I think it's sub $15, um, people really jump on it. And then it's also like the packaging is cool. And then it's just, it's again, it's kind of taken off with this whole persona of, of the crab wine. And then, you know, you just get a couple of people talking about it on social media and it's, it's the exact effect that happened to you. It's like, it's like, what is this crab wine? Like, why is everybody like, is, and, and, and I've had people ask me this, they're like, is there crab in it? And I'm like, no, right. that's super weird. Um, but it would no, go it's just, really it, great with crab though. It would go really great with crab because, oh, you know, it's, again, it's, it's, it's crisp, it's refreshing. And I think there is some, some residual sugars in it, but I think because I've had some of our other Vino Verdes, which have a lot more residuals in it, and they come across a lot sweeter than the Vino, than the Santola does. 
Um, it just, it doesn't stand out to me as much, but I, I mean, I, I've definitely grown to have a deep appreciation for these Portuguese wines because, you know, they're just able to put out such quality stuff. And then, you know, and, and really, and Chris is so right. Like when we got those Brown bottles, it was just, I think collectively across the board, all of us were like, what the fuck is this? This is not, this is not what we signed up for. It doesn't have, cause like the, the green bottle invokes freshness. Right. And, and you know, and that's just in the brown bottle didn't do that, even though that's what every fucking bottle comes in. So, so it was, it's, it's just kind of, it's grown via social media and different accounts getting behind it. And, um, you know, and again, if you can, if you can take something, cause nowhere on the bottle, does it say crab wine? There's, that's not on the bottle. You know, it's, it's very professional. It's the region it's from, it says white wine, but it just has this big illustrated crab on it. So that's just what it's become. And so now it's become like a little, a little legend. So that's cool. I I feel like people would be talking about it here in San Diego, like with, you know, the whole fishing scene and everything. And I only hear about it from SAC and I kind of love that. Well, I mean, you know, again, like it's, it's one of those things that there's been a few, a few items that have come through the JVS system where, like I've latched onto them and I'm like, I'm going to make this big and it's going to slowly grow out to the rest of the the territories. And, um, and I'm really hoping that this year with the bars being back open and like people being able to be able to do like bottle to glass, you know, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a much bigger deal. Uh, Cause like I said, I mean, we, we sold so much of it last year, just in Northern California, like it leaked out into like our San, our San Francisco rep and our San Jose rep and stuff like that. So, so hopefully what we can do is um, we'll, we'll let you lead the, the crab wine charge down there. You'll be the I designated. I'll be your crab wine ambassador. There we go. There yes. we go. Okay. Crab wine summer. <laughs> well, we have, we have uh, talked way too much without <laughs> about getting into any of the things that we're supposed to talk about. So now it's time for our opinion on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Okay, so now in really getting into why I wanted Seth on this on this episode is because over the past year, um, Seth has really been sounding the alarm on multiple fronts. And but first and foremost, the most important thing to him is taking care of people in our industry. And so this story has a lot to do with that. And it's actually a lawsuit that alleges that Olive Garden parent company. Their tipping policy causes racial discrimination, sexual harassment, and is a push against the tip minimum wage. It's uh, the Darden Restaurant Group is facing a lawsuit from One Fair Wage in California. And One Fair Wage went and did a survey of 200 Olive Garden employees and found that people of color made actually 18% less with their current system. And so One Fair Wage is trying to sue to, to make changes here. And, and so, Seth, I mean, again you've been an advocate for, you know, industry rights and stuff like that, ranging all the way from, um, you know, getting, getting COVID tests paid for to minimum wage being raised. Like when you read something like this, I mean, what were some of the feelings that you had? What are some of your thoughts? Uh, well, it immediately made me think of my time when I lived in Arizona and this was in 2012 and it was really my first time leaving Actually, no, it was for sure my first time leaving California. I was 20 years old and I got a bar back job. And I remember I got paid $8 an hour and I was like, okay, that's awesome. I feel like that's what I was making 
as a busboy in Orange County when, when I left. And then I started making friends with the servers and people who worked at places that weren't bars, you know, like regular restaurants. And they told me they made like like three something. And I think I think the tipped minimum wage at the time was like it might have been like in between two to three dollars and I thought that was insane and but I was also 20 years old so I didn't it didn't break my heart like I didn't care I was like I'm making eight dollars that sucks for you and I, I mean I obviously didn't think that but like it didn't affect me that way now if someone told me that um I mean I'm sure everyone's seen like that meme circulating where it's like this is what you know you're you're uh, the owner of your restaurant is trying to pay you. And then it's like a, a picture of two $5 bills and like $1 and, and, you know, 50 cents. And I feel like it really takes looking at that photo and, you know, you do that with the tipped minimum wage in other places like, uh, you know, like Arizona and it's like $2 bills. It's just like, damn, this is what I'm working for every hour. And this is okay. Just because I'm making tips. Why is that okay? And I feel like we're conditioned to just accept that. Uh, so I feel like that's when I first kind of was exposed to that that issue. Yeah, and so just to just to clarify for for our listeners, what does the tip minimum wage like mean? Like how does how does this work within our industry? Right. So you have the federal minimum wage, which is what anyone who's not in, I, I suppose, the restaurant industry would be making. You know, you work at a, you work in an office, or maybe not an office, but you work, you know, something that's not in the hospitality food beverage industry, and you're making just a kind of a flat rate. But the tip minimum wage, because you're making tips, you apparently are allowed to be paid significantly less, uh, which has been just accepted. You know, I'm, I. I there's been people fighting for it for a long time, but I feel like they weren't given the platform that we have now because of social media and stuff. But uh, I mean, it's really, there's a lot of people that I work with who, you know, they, they see my stories and they're like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Like they have no idea that these people are making $2 and something, you know, at, in, in their States. And, and that's a bummer. You know, I, I, I feel like we can fix it and, and all it takes is exposure in the beginning, you know? Um, but we have people fighting for it, which is awesome. Yeah, Chris, what are some of your thoughts on on this article? Well, I, I think uh, to really get to the the crux of the of, of the issue, you have to understand where it comes from, right? And 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 tipped wages really really begin post slavery, right? So we're looking at turn of the century, nineteen hundreds. Um, we're looking at a group of owners. Uh, uh, who own restaurants, um, you know, uh, a, a bunch of people of color are leaving their slavery position with only a handful of skills, farming service. That's mostly it. Right. And, and so obviously in order to earn a living, you fall back on the skills that you have in order for, white people to not feel like they are indebted to paying now these uh, people of color who, you know, only a handful of years ago were their, their own property. What the government allowed them to do was say, okay, well you don't have to pay them. Uh, They can earn their wages based on quality of service. And that's where tipping starts. I mean, it starts there and it starts at, at, you know, porters on trains and it starts as doormen in, in hotels. And that's, that's the beginning of tip culture. I mean, right there. I mean, it's, it's 
point blank, black and white. There's no nuance to it. That's where it begins. So draw that out through the rest of American history. And you're looking at a culture that that's now very much so part of part of our society. And there's been battles back and forth. I mean, you, there's there's a lot of battle between like uh, chefs in front of house. Right. So so cooks are like, oh, wait, these guys are now of now actually making more money than we make, which never used to happen. So now we deserve some of that money. And there's there's a substantive substantive argument to be had about that. Um but when you look at uh, policies put in place by um, by governments in whole, um, I don't see this this lawsuit really having as much to do with Olive Garden and their parent company. What I see it is is more of an attack on the system and saying, okay, this system needs to change. But you can't sue a system. You can only sue an aggressor. You can only sue someone who's actually like taking part actively in the system. And so sucks to be Olive Garden right now, but they're going to be the ones that have to take the hit. Um, that's, that's the way you get precedents created. That's the way our entire system culturally legally changes in the United States. That's just how it works. So sucks to be Olive Garden, but y'all got to go down <laughs> in order to like make this better for everybody else. It's kind of how I feel. Yeah, and that was something that was actually pointed out in the article is that the Darden restaurant group realizes that it's not really a lawsuit against them, but a lawsuit against the system itself. And to to kind of bring it back to the story itself, I mean, one of the things that they were talking about was, you know, in terms of like sexual harassment, it's like, okay, they're going to be telling their female servers to, you know, go out there and dress a little bit racier or be more flirtatious in order to get better tips. Um, one of the things that Olive Garden did or that the Darting restaurant did come back with is saying that, you know, our tip minimum wage or our minimum wage tip is, is actually $10. It's not the $2 and 30 cents that, that you see at a lot of different places and, and things like that. And, and, you know, we really learned over the past year, how unforgiving this industry can be. And, um, you know, there was a lot of movement. And in fact, Seth, we were we were joking earlier because you are such an outspoken advocate for industry that, I mean, it's not just something like one of those things where you jump on a soapbox and you're doing the quote unquote vague, vague post and just being like, you know, everybody knows who you're talking about, but you're never saying it. Like you legitimately called out numerous restaurant groups and tagged them repeatedly in different things that they were doing and, and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, at the, what we were saying, what we were saying at one point, I was like, Oh my God, Seth's going to get blackballed from the industry because <laughs> he's calling out literally everybody, but yeah. we're, we're happy to, you know, that you're still a big part of it. Um, with that said, and like the things that you've, you've come to learn because you've, you've really educated yourself on this stuff, right? Like you've put the time in and you're constantly putting out really good information. We'll be sure to share your Instagram later. So people know where to follow you and get the combination of really good info and also the ridiculous things you post. But, um, <laughs> but as you look at the system now, like it, I know that there's not like a one, a one thing that you can do that would fix everything, but through your experience and everything that you've learned over the past year, like, and now that we're going to be reshaping the industry, you know, moving forward is, I mean, what are some of the things that you would like to see happen when it comes to wages and paying our industry their fair, their fair share? 
Well, that's a great question. Uh, what I would really like to see, and it's sad because you know what's what it's going to take is a lot of closures, and which is it's already been happening. But I would just like more restaurant owners and bar owners to have actually had experience working in a restaurant, especially during COVID. It would be so nice if they can empathize. They can only empathize so far. And at the same time, as an employee, I have to empathize for the restaurant owner because they have bills to pay. They have families. Like, like I've, I worked for someone who had a baby like right before COVID hit and we opened our restaurant a month before it hit. And so I like empathy is just going all over the place. But I, I will say that there's just, I feel like now that everything's starting to reopen and you guys have talked about this quite a bit over the past couple episodes, but with the uh, workforce kind of uh, being non-existent, it's been really kind of cutthroat as far as hiring people. Um, I will have people actually uh, tell me that they've been poached by restaurateurs at my job, at our workplace. And there'll be, they'll say stuff like, Hey, um, if you quit tomorrow, I'll pay you five more dollars an hour. And how, so how are they able to do that, right? It has to be the PPP loan that they're getting, right? Like how the extra money that they're using to poach people because no one wants to go back to work. And I love my job. Like where I work, like everyone thoroughly enjoys it, but it's still so hard to get people back. And I think that's a big question. There's a question there. Like, like if this person really enjoyed their job before COVID, like why won't they come back? And Unfortunately, it, you know, as a hospitality professional, as someone who's like, you know, I call, I call people who walk through the door guests, not customers. Like that's me, like through and through. But at the same time, I don't feel like people are treating us the same way. You know, we're inviting these people into our home and they get to treat us however they want, just like they did before COVID. There, so there's no, there's no sympathy for us. There's no, they don't empathize for us. And um, sorry if I'm going off on a, a tangent. I hope I'm answering the question, but I, I hope that. Yeah, um, we see in the future that maybe just people that know what they're doing can handle the just the future issues. Like this is going to keep happening, and it might even get worse uh, as far as the shortage. You know, this is a this is a great point that you bring up, and and I don't know if we've brought it up on the podcast, but it's certainly something that Drew and I have talked about uh, repeatedly um, over the last few weeks. Which was, uh, you know, Drew asked me if I knew. You know, the, the, there's this narrative going on about about um, servers and bartenders and cooks being too lazy and making making more money uh, on unemployment than they than they would at work. Which, of course, we have to unravel that. You know that if if people are making more money on unemployment than they are when they're working, then there's probably a systemic problem in play there. Right. But then on top of that, um, you know, Drew and I both went through our full Rolodex of people in our brains and going like, I don't, I actually can't name a single human being who's just not going back to work. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's literally not a single person that I can think of that isn't going back to work right now. Uh, there's been a lot of people who've pivoted out of the industry who are making more money for doing, less work um, than they were while they were in the industry, you know, using the same exact skills, if not similar, you know, like parallel skills, mostly being like good with people and being sociable and able to speak and like being able to sort of triage events and, and work, uh, which is something that a lot of people don't have. And, and that's, that's a thing that I think we get, 
we in the industry uh, take for granted that that this is a skill that is drilled into you that you learn through the industry through food and beverage industry is like learning how to talk to people learning how to triage events learning how to like do the things that are important and think on your feet right like those are huge skills that a lot of people just don't have and and this is like high paid project manager skill set, like people who are making six figures. And so there are like a lot of people in our industry who've transferred out of our industry into parallel industries, other industries um, who are now making that kind of money. And now the industry is at a dearth of, you know, retail for human bodies and skill sets and people who just don't aren't existing in this world anymore. Um, but at the same point in time, we're still getting shit on. We're still getting thrown under the bus. There's still this idea of like, you know, you still hear net, you know, federal senators saying, well, you know, these restaurant employees, these cooks don't want to go back to work because of unemployment. And it's just at least in, in our limited experience, completely fucking false, you know, which is funny because before COVID, there was the argument of, well, if you don't like your job, go get a better one. We're like, well, that's not not necessarily the point. The point is that we do a job. We're good at the job. We love our job. We're doing this because we're passionate about the job. And then all of a sudden people are like, yeah, all right, cool. Fuck it. Fine. We'll go get another job. Now people are like, ah, they're fucking lazy still, <laughs> which is just it's just asinine. Yeah. Yeah. I think it. I think, you know, just kind of both of what what you guys are saying is that there just needs to be a lot more empathy from both, you know, restaurant owners and then also just guests. I mean, I know we've all seen the videos of, of people quitting their jobs right on the spot because someone treats them like, like crap. And you know, that, that hasn't gone away. I mean, you have a lot of people who weren't able to yell at any service industry people for a year. And so now they're making up for lost time. And so I think, um, you know, there we've been, we've been exposed to so many different things that, you know, for a long time, people just kind of ignored and had distractions for. And, you know, and one of those things is just like how little people are paid in the service industry. And now, again, what we found is people left, they found jobs that paid similar money, but now they get, they get their nights back, they get their weekends back, and they have nobody telling them that they're a piece of shit because they brought a salad out instead of fries with, with their sandwich, you know? So, so I, so I do think that that's a, that's a major contributor and, and hopefully, you know, ultimately what this lawsuit does is just continues to shine that light on a part of our economy that, that, um, that has been ignored for, for far too long. And so I do think that there's some organizations, you know, like, like the one fair wage and, and a few more that are going to continue to do that and continue to fight that, that fight for employees. And, and hopefully what it does is it, it does make it worth it to get chewed out occasionally because I've always felt that the best people to hang out with are people in the service industry. And the reason being is because they get treated like shit so often that they, that they more than likely will not want to treat anybody else like that because they know how it feels. And so they almost go out of their way to be better people. And don't get me wrong. There's some real pieces of shit in our industry, but, um, but, but for the most part, you do get a lot of really great people who do have the mentality that you have Seth, right. Where it's like, you're a guest, you're not a customer, you're a guest. Um, but yeah, I think I, it'll be interesting to see 
what happens moving forward. I just want to say, so we so we cut you out. Seth, do you have a thought? Was it? Oh, do, do you um, want to get it across? No, no, I I, I lost it. I, I love that beat. Uh, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I totally lost it. Uh, oh, you know, I because we were talking about sexual harassment. I just wanted to say, and this has been I've definitely seen it in articles, which makes me even more sad. But I've actually had servers tell me that guests have asked them to take off their masks just when they're filling up the tip. You know, they don't say it, but it's like that's what they're doing, and that. And it sucks because I feel like I've made myself kind of that that beacon to run to if something like that happens at work. Like everyone knows like, oh shit, Seth will go off. And I think maybe people are afraid of what I'll do. Um, and no one ever tells me until after it happens. I was like, yo, wait, this person did what? You know, and they're not going to tell the boss. You know, they're not going to tell the owner for whatever reason. Well, no, actually, I mean, the, no one wants to bring management involved in that. They just want their tip. They, and they want to move on to the next table. So that's obviously why. But it really just makes me sad because I'm just making drinks over here. I'm stressing about my ice. I'm, I'm stressing about whatever behind the bar. Meanwhile, my servers are being um, berated and sexually harassed for a you know $7 tip. And that will never be okay with me. And I feel like we have it good out here, you know, whether it's San Diego or California, like we have it good. And there's people who are making the $2 and $13 and I'm sorry. Yeah. $2 and 13 cents an hour. Um, they're making that and they have to deal with that probably even, even worse fashion and they just have to take it and move on to the next table. And that will never be okay with me either. And I feel like that is what one fair wage. Like I, I actually have like close ties with that, that organization because my friend Mikey Nab works for them. And, uh, he's the one who really got me into, I mean, not, I mean, I've always cared about the industry obviously, but like, he's the one who really like got me into, he showed me like, Hey, these are the people who are, who are doing it too. Like they're doing the work. And so that the like, I know you guys are going to do like the shout out and everything. And I, I wouldn't even include this, but everyone should just follow one fair wage because they are, they are changing the game. You know, they have people backing it like Bernie Sanders and stuff like that, who are actively on their uh, podcasts and clubhouse and zooms and all that stuff. And I think it's huge, but yeah, it, it should just not be okay for anyone. I like how Seth is on his first podcast and he's just changing our format now. Oh, he's I'm, sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. He's just like, he's like, we're doing dope follows now. This is up to me. Was I not we're supposed not to mention that? that? I'm so sorry. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, okay, I'm kidding. All right. I got excited. No. I'm sorry. I read the email <laughs> over and over again, but you know, I got heated. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> right, well, no, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to do it again. Okay, so we've had this heavy conversation. Now we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna bring in kind of the lightness, which which again, this is this is so perfect for Seth because he's had such a great and fun personality about this industry and some of the outfits that he's worn over the years while being behind the stick are just completely ridiculous. Um, and if he ever We're does the outfits completely... or the hats, all outfits the things or hats, all of it, all the all, all, of, all, all of them, them. all of them, all of it. I yeah. do it all. Yeah. So eventually, when when Seth does get blackballed from behind the bar, he <laughs> will be able to go and work for get an internship with uh, with Natty Light because right now they are seeking an intern to do the Natterday frozen icicle promotion this coming summer so this is going to start in june and basically what nat what what natty light is telling you is when life gives you lemons natty gives you a lemonade shack this will be a mobile bar program that they're going to be going around and they need someone to be responsible for it so yeah drew 
there's always yeah. money in the in the Natty Light check. There's there always is. Um, and in this case, there's forty dollars an hour in that shack, Holy which uh, could, which was you know basically works out to about eighty three k a year plus uh, incentive for a twenty five thousand dollar bonus. They want somebody with good grades and someone who could really bring the party. If you want to, if you do want to submit yourself to this um, for this internship, you have to send um, you have to send Natty Light the a thirty second pitch video selling people on Natter Days. So, with all of that said, Seth, what is your thirty second Natter Day pitch? Oh my God! Oh no, I wasn't prepared for this. Um, <laughs> You know, I was just, I was so prepared to just talk about how I'm actually going to apply for this. And um, that is some amazing money. Um, <laughs> but um, I will but say. But the one thing that you have to do to get it, you didn't do that part? Yeah, no, I know. I, like, what if this was an interview? What, what if you guys actually work for Natty Light and you were hiring me? I just blew it. Um, <laughs> I can't think on the spot like that. I'm so sorry. But um, I. I just talking about it real quick, I just want to say that when COVID started um, and I was thinking about doing like not not alcoholic popsicles, but like non-alcoholic ones. So you can actually like squeeze out the Otter Pop or whatever, you know, the popsicle into your blender and just add booze and blend it. I, that was something that I wanted to do. And then Cutwater Spirits came out with popsicles and I was like, oh, shit, Anheuser-Busch, add it again. They're on it. And I was, And then when you guys, when I saw this topic, I was just like, Natty Light, Anheuser-Busch, they're just... They're doing they're doing all the things. It's it's quite genius, and I think uh, it's it's very interesting how companies are almost like I guess crowdsourcing, not influencers, but they're crowdsourcing people to uh, to do this kind of job, which is, I think is genius um, because there's a lot of people stuck at home who don't want to go back to work, who see eighty three thousand dollars a year, uh, forty thousand dollars or forty dollars an hour, and they're like, oh man, I can talk about popsicles and open up a popsicle stand um, that has booze in it. It has booze in it. Yeah. Natter days for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, I think I'll get a spank me natty tattoo and hope for the best. <laughs> maybe, maybe, the, maybe my 30 second clip, my 30 second clip will just be like a reveal of the tattoo, uh, right on my butt or something like that. Spank me natty. I don't know. <laughs> it should, it'll definitely show that you're committed. That yeah. is, that is, that is for sure. Um, um, Chris, if, if this was, you know, 15 years ago, how quickly are you jumping at this opportunity? Wait a minute. Why has it got to be 15 years ago? Because you got to get Am I, have Your I, have I aged out? I've aged out. Oh, okay. That's fair. That's fine. <laughs> Carmela can come on the natty train with me, baby. This is, you know, it's all good. She's going she's gonna to learn about life anyway. Yeah. Uh, I got to be honest. When, uh, when I heard about natter days, the first thing that came to mind was, uh, was the, the football TV show. Uh, uh, Saturday, what is it? Saturday lights or Friday night lights, Friday night lights, Friday night lights. lights. So Natterdays, I was just thinking like Natterday, Natterday night lights. I was thinking football themes, right? Like, uh, you put that in a, in a parking lot, uh, outside, outside of a football stadium. You're crushing it. You're killing it. You just drive that bad boy up all the, all the tailgating. Yeah, buddy. It's over. Especially, yeah, until until it starts to snow. So it's really most of like a West Coast thing, like a <laughs> Southwest Coast thing. Like it, like it's not going to work so well in Chicago. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it will. They're twisted up there. I don't really like those people <laughs> very much. I was gonna so, say, so, I mean, I can just imagine that getting really dangerous though. Like when certain uh, certain brands came out with RTDs, uh, 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 canned cocktails that are like ten to twelve percent. I've seen some that are fourteen percent, and people are shotgunning them. I may or may not have done it. Um, it is. It gets, it gets <laughs> crazy. And so what I imagine with these natty light uh, lemonade popsicle things is, you know, because they're eight percent ABV, like what's to stop me from taking four, ripping the tops off, and just consuming them and like. I don't know. I, I'm just very curious to see uh, what the Tide Pod generation will will make of. All right, these. here's my, here's my question, <laughs> Seth. When was the last time you had a natty? I feel embarrassed, um, just a little, but I feel like it was just a couple months ago. I, I got, someone gave me a case, and it's just I have like a collection of free booze and beer that kind of just sits in my car and when i so i don't i don't really drink anymore um this started at the beginning of the pandemic but uh when i do i will just take a drink from my car and put it in the fridge and that's my drink so <laughs> yeah so i it wasn't too long ago that i had an adder day um, that's uh that's pretty impressive strawberry, strawberry pineapple flavor or something like that and it was uh it was good it was good i'm not gonna lie man <laughs> I, uh, uh, last time, last time I had a natural was college. Uh, and, and for a very specific reason, it was the drink for college, for my college experience. It was the drink we got, uh, and we drank, um, underage, you know, I think that there's a, there's a a term limit on when I can be prosecuted, but, uh, we definitely drank underage in college. Uh, uh, copious amounts, um, and it was it was Keystone and Natty, man, and it was Natty Lights and uh, Natty what uh, Natty Ice, yeah, Natty Ice, uh, the the higher the higher octane Natty, <laughs> the black can, uh, yeah, the yeah. black can, uh, and yeah. we drank a ton of it. I mean, a ton of it. Um, what was the ABV I forgot- on those? I want to say it was like six or seven, right? Like, I mean, and when I'm in college, I'm like 19, 20 years old. Like that's, that's high octane for me. You know, like our, our new IPA phase, like, you know, that's, that's a joke to, to the kids these days. But I mean, we got 21 year olds drinking old fashions at the bars these days, which was like unheard of in my time. So. It's, it's such a, it's such a weird thing, right? Like, I mean, just, just thinking back to like the last time that I had, that I had a, a, a Natty Ice was, was probably, was probably college as well. And ours, our drink of choice was not, was not the natural. It was, we had a couple of our, couple of our buddies were, who drank a lot of that, but for us, it was definitely Keystone. And I just remember drinking you know, again, I didn't drink in high school, freshman year of college, it was gangbusters. And Same. just drinking drinking so much Keystone to the point where um the next year, so my sophomore year, we started to see Keystone like advertisements and commercials. And they did um they did this promotion. So this would have been like 2006, 2007, where they had like animals incorporated into the keystone so there was like the keystone ducks and there was like keystone bucks and stuff like that 
And I remember my buddies and I, we used to joke that we drank so much Keystone our freshman year that we paid for all that, all that advertising the following year because we had just made, I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous, but, but yeah, I mean like something, something like this where it's got to taste better than Keystone, even though Keystone just tastes like water, but um, you know, doing things like this where you have these engagements, which is really what our industry has shifted towards right where it's no longer about um about something that just merely tastes good it's like you have to you have to cultivate experiences for people you know and if you're not cultivating a really unique experience which is exactly what this promotion will be like regardless of whoever gets gets hired to do this like you're gonna have this situation this traveling you know, lemonade stand. That's just going to be like a rolling good time on wheels. And, and that's really what it comes down to is like, is this person going to be able to provide that good time? I mean, that's how I got my start in the industry, right. Was coming in as a captain Morgan ambassador. It wasn't, it wasn't about talking about the makeup of captain Morgan and you know, the, the production process and things like that. I mean, as much as you tried. As much as I tried, it really wasn't. It was about it was about cultivating those experiences for people and and kind of being like, yes, the captain signifies a good time. And that's and that's what this is all about. And that that trend has only continued. And I think when you have these people and and I know, you know, Seth, that you you've been in ambassador roles before too, it's like you're you're cultivating these experiences for people and and stuff like that. And now that that experience is gonna vary, you know greatly right from from whatever the product is and stuff like that but you can only imagine that whoever gets this gig i mean in really any booze job right out of college it's just like the fucking best like it's just it's so ridiculous that like i mean i look back on my my early years and i'm like i'm like i had a budget of like forty thousand dollars to do whatever the hell i wanted to do with it mm-hmm. like that was insane i had no I idea st- what i still I was have doing. uh i still have cannonballs from you. Oh, oh my god! god. <laughs> the cannonballs, yes. Yeah, I still have yeah, the cannonballs, I mean, and whatever the what are the scratch and sniff cannonballs, like uh, like cream Captain Morgan cream liqueur. That was uh, scratch and sniff bottles. I still have those. That I got was one towards, of those by the bar. I I got out right before right before those really started to take off. We had the cannon blast, and then um, and then that yeah, just kind of really got got nuts from there but i mean even when i was with with them i mean you know we had the guy who was the captain morgan like dude pirate mascot the pirate like there was the guy i want to say his name was was aaron or something like that what he was he was legitimately (laughs) the coolest guy in the world like we we spent some time together in san diego and in tahoe and then i think i also spent time with the other one in chicago and I mean, you want to talk about people who just, I mean, even when he was out of costume, you know, cause it's like when you're wearing, when you're wearing the getup, I mean, it is just, it's, it's, it's game on. Like mm-hmm. people want to fucking hang out with you. Even if they hate rum, they're in, but like this guy outside of that, um, outside of it where we're just like, okay, now we're just bar hopping together and he's just in, he's in, he's in his civvies, you know? And you're just kind of like, he was still his fucking civvies. great. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> It was it was amazing and just like the the energy that, that these people can bring and and again I mean I think I think all of all of what it comes down to now is being a good storyteller and I don't know what that story looks like for for a natural ice icicle but um, 
but we're going to find out this summer and that person is going to be is going to be rewarded handsomely for for yeah. cultivating all, all i want to say story. is whoever ends up getting that job if you're listening to this podcast and you you feel the need to go and interview and like and own it right uh a don't sleep on the uh, the lemonade stand uh uh analogy or uh not analogy but the from reference. The reference, thank you, from Arrested yeah. Development. Like, I feel like you should definitely lean into that. It might it be, might be too bit, dated for them. It might be, it might too, be too dated, young. I know. But, you know, like, way to bring in, like, a whole an, – an older generation who still has this, like – you know, you have two two different uh, uh, emotional connections there. <laughs> uh, but then yeah. also, you know, come to Sacramento, man. Like, we will – we'll blow your spot up for sure. You can – you I, I tell you what – if you listen to this, you can throw that lemonade stand right in front of Good Bottle, and I will secure that space for you. Like you have it; it's yours. I have space right in front of the shop. It's all for you. So if you listening to this, you end up getting that job. Fucking come my way. Oh yeah, it's gonna be me, by the way. But yeah, <laughs> thank you. I will set up in front of your shop, and I'm gonna just crush crab wine the whole time. It's gonna be great. Crab wine and natty icicles. Boom. That's going to be the commercial. 30 seconds. 15 seconds for the tattoo. 15 seconds, crab wine and natty ice popsicles. End scene. Yo. You know who's dope? Them over there. And now it's time for my favorite segment of the week where we get to discuss the things that we think are dope and that you should follow. This can be an Instagram account, Facebook profile, book, podcast, hopefully our podcast, or whatever the hell you think that we need to be influenced by. So, Seth, even though you jumped the gun earlier and you shared someone totally dope earlier, who else should our listeners be following according to you? All right. So I would like to start off by saying that you absolutely should listen to this podcast. If this is your first time listening Listen to all the old episodes. It's really cool how you guys bring current events and kind of, it's very educational. It's just very educational. There's a lot of bar podcasts out there and none of them are like this. I've listened to a lot of them. Um, Second one. uh, But, but I will have to say one that I have been enjoying is uh, I think it's uh, Dolly Parton's America. And uh, Dolly Parton is, I feel like is a woman that is a musician and just a, a ge- all around gem that I feel like I just didn't pay attention to until I heard, you know, she put all this money into the Moderna vaccine and all this stuff. And then I found out there's a podcast about her. It's not her podcast, but it's about her and there's interviews with her. And it just, it is very fascinating just to see like what this woman has gone through and what a lot of her music is about. You know, we're always singing Jolene and like all of her songs, but like, man, if you like listen to this podcast, you just like hear all these stories. And I think it's, it's kind of cool if you think about um, just like how selfless this woman has been throughout all this stuff. Um, so I really enjoy that podcast. And if I could nominate one more, I'm sorry, but Jack Black has kind of been brightening my day up. Uh, his Instagram account is so insane. I don't know if they're going to, I haven't done the research, but I don't know if they're making him like a Marvel character, but he's been doing some really amazing Marvel videos on his Instagram that like literally like I, I don't, check it the first thing when i wake up but if i'm scrolling through instagram and it pops up (laughs) i will watch that video 
a couple of times and then I'll watch like the past five ones, even though I've seen them already because it's, they're so good. And I'm just, I'm a huge Jack Black fan already. So, um, yeah, those are my dope. I saw, I saw this really great, uh, um, uh, Instagram or TikTok today, which, uh, had like a very nerdy reference to it, but it was, uh, uh, it was, uh, Jack Black is what happens when you put all of your skill points into charisma. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. I hope perfect. I hope I hope more people I hope a lot of people get that joke because that that is so that's just so true. That is great. Um, Chris, who's your dope follow this week? Okay, so this is actually a, a pretty cool one. Um, a couple of weeks ago, when we talked to Chris Tucker, uh, I talked about uh, my dope follow being the uh, Cuba Study Group, which is a a uh, group of expats and people passionate about Cuba um, who who have familiarized themselves and become experts as a group collectively on uh, Cuba and America relationships, uh, relations, you know, uh, the sort of geopolitical efforts there. And um, after suggesting that people follow, look into it, just you know, get entertained by this sort of like very easily consumable information that they put out on their social medias. Um, Josh Milholm, who is a general manager for the golden bear here in Sacramento, um, uh, came to the store and he brought me a book, uh, which I got to say was incredibly charming. Um, because (laughs) so few people actually, actually do that, but he is a class act. I love that. Um, uh, but he, he brought me a book that he had recently uh, been reading, I believe with his daughter. Um, and he was like, yo, I heard your podcast. Thought you'd be interested in this. Give it a read. Let's talk about it when you're done. Um, and so I'm, I'm only partway through this book, um, but it's called dreaming in Cuban. And it's by uh, Christina Garcia. It's a rad book so far. It's, it's, it took me a second to sort of like get my bearings a, cause I'm reading a book again. Uh, I have this issue, uh, with reading fiction. I love reading fiction, but I have these sort of like neuroses where I need to read, uh, I need input. I'm like, um, um, Johnny five. I just, I need more input, more input. Um, and so I read a lot of nonfiction because I, like I said, I have that neuroses. Not that there's anything wrong with fiction. I think there's a lot of value to be had in fiction. Went on a tangent. Anyway, <laughs> TMI. Um, uh, Dreaming in Cuban, Christina Garcia. This book's really rad. It's a really easy read. Um, the general general basis of the book is uh, a family line um, is partially in America, partially in Cuba. They're split up. Uh, after the revolution and sort of the experiences that they go through. It's uh, rad. It's a lot of fun. It has a lot of humor in it. Uh, it's very approachable. Um, it's a, it's a great book. I, I, I've been enjoying it thoroughly. That's awesome. That sounds great. And I love the fact that, that Milholm at least listened to one of our episodes. That's super cool. We got one. We got one. <laughs> we got one out of them. I'll take it. I'll take it. That's super rad. Uh, you know, what's what's funny is, uh, Chris, we are showing a just completely different level of, of um, I'm trying to think, synchronization right now because we're just on the same page when it comes to this episode. You put together these dope 
articles. I had the perfect guess for it. We're both drinking white wine, and now we're both telling people to go read a fucking book. And my book is the uh, Wine from a Different Galaxy, which is the new Noble Rot book by Andrew Mark and Dan Keeling. Noble Rot is a is a magazine, a wine magazine that very much so incorporates like art and music into the wine scene and kind of has um, takes a very elevated approach towards it. And there's, there's definitely a deep appreciation for, for wine, but it also, I think destigmatizes it to a certain degree as well. And um, so they've been doing this publication for years. And then that then led to a, a wine bar in, in Europe and then eventually one in New York as well. And then they just released this book and it is, it talks about their story and, um, and then it also just talks about wine and, and admittedly for myself, there's been a couple parts that have gone a little bit over my head because when they start really getting into wine regions and stuff like that, it doesn't immediately resonate the same way that maybe if somebody was talking about the different States in Mexico or or regions in, in California, like stuff like that, that I'm a little bit more intimately knowledgeable of. So but it's but it's super fun. It's a really easy read. There's a lot of really amazing photos and artwork throughout the entire thing, and it's just kind of a different a different look. And then one of my favorite things that that I just recently read uh, in the past in the past couple of days was they were talking about tasting notes. And one of the things that we've discussed on this podcast numerous times is how I don't like to give like specific tasting notes. Like I don't like to say things um, that could potentially um, disenfranchise someone during a tasting. Like if they don't taste it, I don't want them to feel as like, okay, the perceived expert doesn't taste it. So I'm not going to taste it. And they gave these, this list of tasting notes and it was all about using these things that are descriptive, but without being overly, overly specific. So an example of that would be like, you know, oh, it's very complex or it has layers or it's robust. I'm describing something, but I'm not giving you a specific tasting note that necessarily like i'm not saying like oh this is like these like hints of cherry like i'm not saying anything like that because if someone doesn't pick up on that or they don't have the palate for it you know again i don't i don't like tasting it. so when i read that section i just absolutely loved it and it's um and it's a really cool book and i actually um i actually bought it for my brother it hasn't arrived yet because he's very much so into art and design and stuff like that i think it's gonna be a really beautiful blending of both worlds it's also just a gorgeous book so, you know, when we post all this stuff on our Instagram, you guys will have to look at the cover. Like, it's just, it's like one of those things that you're like, I feel classier for having this in my library. So, um, no big deal. But it's so, again, it's Wine from a Different Galaxy by Noble Rot. And so it's Andrew Mark and Dan Keeling. But but check it out. It's, it's super, super cool. You know, what's really funny about that is um, I get hyper specific in my tastings. Um, but I'm on the receiving end of tastings, right? Where, where you are on the giving end, Drew, you know, like you are presenting to them, to people tasting your, your spirits, booze, wine, whatever, what have you. I'm on the receiving end. So I, I don't need to worry about anybody else in my sphere. I just, all I have to do is sit there and like dissect and enjoy and think about um and one of my favorite things that happens uh while i'm just getting lost in like my own zone tasting things and i like i'm just spitting shit off by like like okay i got passion fruit i got guava i've got like i've got rocks i've got celery fucking whatever um and people are 
uh, you know, I, I get these reps who come in, they're like, cool, cool, cool. And then like, I'll say something that like throws them off and they're like, ah, I've never heard that one before, but all right. <laughs> right. Which is their way of going. Like, I don't want to like, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you no, but that's mm-hmm. a fucked up tasting note. <laughs> like that's, oh, you have to totally. like learn the <laughs> learned how to decipher and it's so much fun it's so i mean like i've learned so much from tasting with people who just have better palates than me you know like over the last year i've had a crash course in uh in wine terminology and wine tasting and the culture that's involved in that uh versus spirits which i have like decades of experience not that i don't have like decades of experience of drinking wine uh, which i certainly fucking do but like uh from an analytic standpoint right like um really trying to break them down and understand it so i can communicate that to to people who who also enjoy wine or who want to understand wine um and so getting people who come in and you're just like breaking it down and 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 you usually it comes from like some sort of memory that like the the wine evokes in me i'm like oh man this is like when i got drunk in new orleans based on like and i was drinking like margaritas by the pool or some shit we were like oh that is hyper specific and way too much information (laughs) you know (laughs) um uh so that's really funny when you, you you say that you're trying actively not to uh evoke those things because you want people to have those experiences um, I'm that guy who actively ends up trying to have those experiences while I'm drinking. Well, I think it's, I mean, again, it's, it's about kind of making everybody feel like, like you want them to talk about what they're experiencing. So, you know, typically when I, when I'm doing my tastings, the thing that I'll then follow up with is like, you know, whatever you're tasting, tell me, because there's literally nothing worse than, than being hit with some sort of nostalgia, you know, whether that's a margarita in New Orleans or, you know, whatever, whatever thing, grandma's apple pie, something like that, cranberries, like whatever. And then having someone next to you or across the room, raise their hand and be like, I'm getting cranberries. And you're like, damn it. I could have been that person. I could have been that one, you know? So I, so I do think it's important to encourage people to, to give those notes. And again, like, you know, the only reason I don't is because in that situation, you know, and this is mostly talking with like, consumers and stuff like that is that if you're if you're the perceived expert and you say something that that they don't get they immediately feel like well i guess i i guess i don't belong here because i'm not tasting that um seth let me ask you this when people are drinking your garbage vodka what are some of the notes that you try to give them and stuff like that Um, i'm sorry it's not garbage i just just, we we had to call it back bread okay upcycled bread (laughs) Upcycled bread. My apologies. No, no, no. I, I love it. I love it. I, it's really funny that you brought it up because of I was literally just talking about it in the training about that video. But um, no, I mean for sure. I the first question people ask is like, oh, because it's made from you know cakes and Twinkies and stuff. Is it a flavored vodka? It's like no, no, no. no. Like uh, we, you know, all that stuff's filtered out, distilled out, blah blah blah. Um, it you know, and I hate describing things as smooth, uh, but uh, it definitely has a vanilla note to it it's viscous um it's it you don't get that burn it's 80 proof but you don't get like that just like gasoline burn like what i mean when uh, when would would you normally be drinking vodka anyway like just like ripping shots of it or uh sipping vodka unless it's like a maybe a craft vodka anyway um so so it doesn't it's just really enjoyable to drink like i've been drinking out of this water glass 
and my water glass was actually the martini glass, but um, I've just been sipping on it and I can't really, I can't do, think of a vodka that I can do that with, nor that I, that I would want to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would just say it's just easy to drink. It's got a sweetness to it and vanilla is nice, but not like a, not like a cask finish vanilla, you know, with tequila or whiskey, you know what I mean? I hope that's. Yeah. Yeah. But when you're talking about uh, the experience that you like to give and you don't want to, uh, I guess, influence their uh, tasting notes and what they're feeling, I, I, I think of it like when people talk about like a scary movie and they don't want to ruin it with spoilers, but they're like, they're like, oh, it's got, I won't spoil it for you, but it's got a bunch of pop-ups and there's just like all these crazy like corner scenes, blah, blah. So that's, so when you're watching the movie, all you're looking for are these things, even though you don't know exactly what's going to happen. And I feel like that's a, that's a good way of of letting someone experience a spirit. I don't know. That's a weird reference, but that's what I was thinking. I like it. <laughs> I like it. It's a, it's a, it's a dip into the mind of Seth. I love it. That's terrifying. Well, that's good. Those are, those are, those are our dope follows. And again, another tangent on tastings. So you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. The Good Bottle Podcast is a production of Fluid Concepts, edited and researched by these two guys. Music is beautifully produced and conducted by Leon and Chase Moore. And before we go and kill these bottles that we are drinking, we ask that if you enjoyed this episode that you've been listening to, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts. Mine is dgarrison6. Chris's is Chris Sin Flair. Seth, where can they find you on Instagram? You guys can find me at Seth Swizzle. Seth Swizzle. I like it. All right. Good. So go go follow him for all the that heat that he puts out. You guys can see how controversial the man truly is. Um, you can also support the podcast and our desire to buy as much of the Misadventure Vodka as we can possibly handle um, by visiting anchor.fm slash Podcast. And also, we still have our merch up. Go to Etsy. Look for the Good Bottle Podcast. You'll see our stuff. We have the sweatshirt, the t-shirt, the coffee mug, and of course, the infamous fanny pack so check that out that fanny pack really has become infamous hasn't it i'm gonna make it i'm willing it into infamous level that's what i'm 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 there with you buddy (laughs) yeah you need to get it yeah get it it. it. live it i'm buying it after this i I, I really i I don't even i've never had a fanny pack i've never had one but i'm gonna a sling bag as i called it in the message Sling bag, which apparently is what the kids call it. Yeah. Maybe the older people. I don't know. I stand. I stand the sling bag. (laughs) If you would like for us to cover a story or if you are working with a brand that wants to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase these bottles that we drink on the episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time, cheers. Cheers, motherfuckers. So many cheers. Cheers. With Twinkie Vodka. 